had an opportunity to go. I jumped at the at the chance because it was always something that was just I wouldn't say it was like a burning kind of thing, but at the same time, it was one of those things that just wouldn't leave. And then once I was there, it was like, you know, like a lot of people on their first time to, to Israel will say, man, it feels like home, or I just didn't expect it to feel this good here. Or, you know, there's, it just connected with me in a way that I didn't expect or anticipate. And I knew from that moment, you know, even if it would be another 20 or 30 years, I know where I need to come back to. It was that real, that tangible, it was that that much of a, of a calling and a pulling, I suppose you could say. And at that time, I don't even know that I would say calling. It was like this heart starting to burn, going like, man, there is something there that I can't explain, but I want to explain it. Welcome to Along the Way. I'm John Matarazzo, your host and fellow traveler. Thank you for joining me along my way as I try to become more like Jesus every day. For this episode, I'm joined by my friend Doug Hershey, who has a special connection with Israel. He wrote and created an amazing book called Israel Rising, Ancient Prophecy, Modern Lens, taking old photos all around Israel and finding the same images from our modern day. It is incredible to see how biblical prophecy about the land of Israel is really coming to fruition in front of our very eyes. But we need to know where to look. So that's why Doug is our guide. In this conversation, we even talk about how the Dead Sea is coming back to life. I'll get to our conversation in just a moment, but as always, I want to thank you for listening to Along the Way. I hope that you like what you hear and that you subscribe. You can connect with me online as well. All of my socials and contact links are in the show notes. And you can check out all of my episodes at my website, alongtheway.media. There's an easy way to join my email list and find out more about me too. I hope that you check it out and you connect with me. I would love to hear from you. I also have a Patreon page if you want to help me to continue to put out these Along the Way episodes. If you'd like to become a Patreon supporter, simply go to patreon.com slash alongtheway and select a level that you would like to join at. The link to become a Patreon supporter is in my show notes. And now, here is my Along the Way conversation with Doug Hershey. Well, Doug Hershey, it is great to have you on Along the Way. You you and I have been friends for a couple of years now. You were a guest on my show Real Life a couple years ago, and you've been with us a few times. Uh, you were, The first time you were with us, though, you were talking about your book, Israel Rising, which is a phenomenal book book filled with amazing pictures from Israel's past and Israel's present taken from those same vantage points. But it's it's not just a picture book. There's a bunch of stories in that. And I suggest to anybody that wants to learn more about Israel from what it's really like to get your hands on a copy of Doug's book. But Doug, I want to thank you so much for allowing me to allowing me to join you on your journey with the Lord. Yeah, man, I appreciate the, the invite. It's always good to catch up with you and see what you guys got got going on not only over at the studio but this is my first time on your podcast this is cool yeah 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 actually just yesterday you were on our hope today program real life has changed its name and now it's uh hope today we've reformatted rebranded all that good stuff um and so i will be putting a link to that episode in the show notes so you can check out uh you can check out that interview and stuff um just by clicking the link there but uh doug whenever we first met you and i we actually got a chance to go out to eat afterwards, which is a lot of fun. And we, we became friends pretty quick, which is always a great thing. I enjoy that facet of my job that uh, not only do I get to meet really interesting people, but I actually get to become friends with them and keep in touch with them. And so I want to talk about your journey with you know your love for Israel and teaching people about that. Um, and not just 
what has happened in the past, but what is happening now. So that's a little bit of a teaser. We're going to talk about what is happening in the land of Israel right now. But Doug, I want to hear your story and how God has brought you along your way. Oh man, well, where to begin? Um, I know it's kind of a loaded question, but yeah. Well, I grew up on a farm in Pennsylvania. Uh, you know, it's funny because with a last name like Hershey, this is sort of like my shtick. If I when I'm doing uh, when I'm out speaking somewhere, people always say like, "Are you related to the chocolate?" <laughs> And the answer actually is yes, and distantly, but, you know, it's the, the joke is that not close enough for any free chocolate or any inheritance. So uh, so here I am, uh, you know, back and forth to Israel all the time. But, you know, years ago, um, you know, I, I always had this sort of stirring in my heart in terms of, of Israel. Um, one of the first really most profound uh, encounters, I suppose I had was usually it's the unintentional ones as, as we were just talking right before we started. It's mm-hmm. usually the, the, the unintentional ones that seem to be the most meaningful. Well, my, my connection to Israel really started that way. I was in Jerusalem for the very first time with a, a group of Christians and Jews, and I'm standing on the Mount of Olives in this just really iconic, beautiful spot that, um, you know, overlooks the Kidron Valley. You're looking the old. You're looking at the old city. It's it's a view that if you've ever seen Jerusalem, you've most likely have seen this view. Sure, sure. So it it was actually about this time. It was about it was fall time around the Feast of Tabernacles. It was a warm, sunny day, and there's these beautiful white puffy clouds kind of rolling over the city. And and I just had this moment where the clouds just really stuck out to me, and I thought, wow, those clouds look just like the type of clouds that roll over my house back in the States. And I had like this momentary revelation where it's like, wow, this is like, this is real. Like I recognize this place instead of it being a a far away, uh, romanticized uh, storybook uh, Bible story of, of Jerusalem. It was real people, real horn blowing, real yelling, you know, real, uh, real city, real life, but, but with real prophecies and real promises from God. And, and, the, and this whole aspect of Bible prophecy for me, it was like the light turned on. It was like, this is real. Like, this is an allegory. Like, this is a real place that God is doing things in. And it really kind of, it, it set me on a path, um, not only in, in how I read the scriptures, but also really how I read the, the, the prophets. I, the, the more time I am in Israel, which is on a pretty regular basis now for the last five years, it's probably been, you know, five to six months of the year I spend in Israel back and forth with different groups now with um, my travel company, Ezra Adventures. The more that I'm in Israel, the more of a Bible realist I become, because mm-hmm. when the Bible says, uh, like the waste and forgotten cities are being rebuilt. Um, I've seen them. Like you know, you you can go to them, and and when the deserts are when the deserts are blooming, like I can take you to those fields. Like it, the, everything that the Bible said is happening, is happening in a very tangible and very real way. So that first encounter for me, uh, you know, I don't you know this was twenty twenty two years ago. I don't remember much else from that trip, but that maybe five minute period of time in in Jerusalem on the Mount of Olives when the Lord just kind of dropped that and stirred that in my heart that was life-changing for me. Yeah, It's kind of weird to think like, you know, I you know, spent the money, you go on a 10-day trip to have a five-minute experience. But look, looking back, like that's really the, almost the only thing I actually remember from that trip. And it was <laughs> profoundly life-changing. Yeah. So tell me about that first trip. What led up to that? Because, you know, some people say Israel, that's just a place that I read about in the Bible and 
what difference does that make? I'm in America right now, or I'm in whatever country you might be listening in. What is the value of going to Israel personally? What was the impetus for you going there? I was already hungry for some things in, in Israel, mostly just uh, out of curiosity and questioning. I'd read the Bible and go, wow, there's Israel in the Bible. And wait a minute. There's a there's a country in the Middle East called Israel, and then I started to the more I started to read and to, to do a little myself study, we thought this is the same bloodline. Wait a minute, the same bloodline today is the same family of the Bible. Like I, I and the light bulb started to turn on. So at that time we were a part of a um, of a messianic synagogue. Uh, I say we my my family at the time, and it was just sort of a new exploration. So I'm kind of uh, feeling it out. I'm kind of like learning, like okay, well, the Old Testament isn't so old anymore. Like there's mm. there's some life there, you know. And and realizing, wait a minute, the Last Supper was really a Passover meal. Well, that's what Moses instructed Israel to do in Exodus. Like I started to put all these pieces together, and then I had uh, with this group that uh, the congregation we were at was going for for the Feast of Tabernacles, and I had an opportunity to go and so uh, I, I jumped at the at the chance because it was always something that was just I wouldn't say uh, it was like a burning kind of thing but at the same time it was one of those things that just wouldn't leave you know it wouldn't yeah. it wouldn't leave my heart and then once I was there it was like you know like a lot of people on their first time to, to Israel will say man it feels like home or I just didn't expect it to feel this good here or you know there's it just connected with me in a way that I didn't expect or anticipate and I knew from that moment, um, you know, even if it would be another 20 or 30 years, I know where I need to come back to. It was that real, that tangible, it was that, that much of a, of a calling and a pulling, I suppose you could say. And at that time, I don't even know that I would say calling. It was just, it was, a, 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 again, talking about the Emmaus Road, it was like this heart starting to burn, going like, man, there's something there that I can't explain, but I want to explain it. And I need to, I need to pursue that and find out more. I know whenever I was in Israel, I was there for six weeks from the middle of December 2003 to the end of January 2004. It was a life-changing experience, and it was a long time ago now, and so I would love to go back and see with fresh eyes a lot of the same things that we saw. Yeah. Now, I didn't go with the thinking that I'm just going here as a tourist to see things. I went on a mission trip to tell people about Jesus, which is not the easiest thing to do in Israel is to tell people about Jesus. There's a lot of Messianic people that have made their way to Israel, but that's a small minority. So it was a very eye-opening experience. I learned a lot and it changed the way that that I read the Bible. The Bible definitely comes alive whenever you read a place in the Bible and you're like, Oh, I've been there. I know what that looks like. And, um, one of my favorite places was actually in, in Getty. And, um, you know, I love that story where David's hiding from Saul and like, I felt the presence of God there in a, in a very unique way. And yeah, so Israel is a really cool place to get to experience. And it's not something that you can just look at pictures about it and, or a video, and th- those are all good things. You should definitely do that. But if you have the opportunity to get there, I definitely suggest to do it. Yeah, 100%. I mean, that's that's something that, uh, that you know, with even with uh, as people are asking about Ezra Adventures and small groups, and it's always sort of a bucket list. But, I mean, man, it's – it's. Uh, I can't remember who said it. There's a, there's a famous quote, something about, you know, one trip to Israel is worth like – 10,000 Bible studies or something like something along those lines. But, but, you know, you, you hear people that come back from Israel and say, man, I'm reading the Bible. Like it's 
going from black and white to living color. Like there was just a dramatic, dramatic change. And those things are true. And so, you know, it is, you know, is a four, maybe a $5,000 investment for a 10 day trip. Is that worth changing your life and how you read the Bible for the rest of your life? I think it is. Mm-hmm. Even if you don't connect the way to, to Israel, that perhaps maybe I, I do or other people that live there. If you love the God of the Bible, if you love the stories of, of King David or, um, you know, pick a prophet, you know, even certainly the, with the teachings of Jesus to be up in the Galilee and know that mm-hmm. this is where he did, you know, 70% of his miracles on the north side of the lake and know what that landscape looks like. I mean, there, I'll tell my groups when I take them that it's, uh, there's so much of the geography that defines the story. In other words, you know, you, you can read a story once you're there and you see the geography, you go, Oh, I get it now. Like, mm-hmm. you know, just, seeing how the hills roll and seeing how close the Mount of Olives is to Jerusalem and just, you know, seeing people walking around, you go, I get it. The light bulb turns on. And to me, that's to, to have an opportunity to read the scriptures much more clearly and connect with the Lord in that way. I mean, that's, that's worth every penny in my mind. Yeah. So Doug, did you grow up in a Christian family? Um, Like, have you, has your relationship with the Lord always been there? Yeah, I, I, my family heritage, uh, year, I mean, through the centuries was Jewish, but I didn't actually realize that until much later. And it really wasn't even that I was looking for it or trying to prove any type of Jewish connection. Somebody gave me a, um, a book of family history and heritage. And at the beginning, it talked about the Hershey family being Jewish as if everybody knew it. But I, I grew up in a, I grew up in a Christian home and, and again, just always, you know, was sort of a regular Christian conservative denomination and, and, you know, grew up kind of reading and figuring things out and, you know, and, uh, church youth groups and that sort of that type of, uh, of upbringing. And then, uh, part of our connection with you and I was uh, just with, um, some of our experience in YWAM and some of those other, uh, getting involved in different things overseas and a lot of different, um, whether it be uh, outreach or humanitarian aid related sort of stuff. So I, I always had sort of a, 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 a drawing to the nations yeah. out of that it was really birthed out of, um, you know, out of that, out of that upbringing in the, in the church. Yeah. So tell me about life before that first trip, because obviously that's, that's one of the mile markers in your life. That's like, everything's different since then. What was Doug's life before that? And how did that change? Because it, I mean, you're, you now professionally are a tour guide and an author. And I don't think that that was part of your original plan before you went on that trip. So kind of tell me a little bit about that. You know, so much of what I thought was the original plan is like for a lot of people kind of gets tossed out the window. Um, you know, I'm 44 now. So 22, you know, I was my early 20s when I went. So, you know, I, I left um, a, a Christian high school, um, ended up going right into uh, into YOM, into overseas uh, related um, you know, church building sort of stuff in, in uh, other parts of the country, outreach service projects. And, and the, the, the stuff with Israel, it, again, it never really started for me as I want to get involved with the nation of Israel or any type of politics or anything related to anything. I just, at that point, it was mostly um, Israel is in the Bible. And if I can go somewhere, just the way that I went with like YWAM to learn more, you know, like in a mm-hmm. discipleship training set, setting, if there's somewhere where I can go to learn more about the Lord, I want to do that. If there's somewhere where I can go to learn more of the culture and the people of the Bible of whom Jesus came through, um, I want to do that. And so it really kind of came sort of this 
this interest mostly out of just a, a, a hunger to learn. And, and some of that was, um, you know, I guess sort of a, an early revelation, like I was saying prior to my trips to Israel of going, wait a minute, Jesus is Jewish. Well, I know some Jewish people. Is that, is that the same family? Is that, well, maybe if I want to get to know, you know, it's like if, if when you get married or if you have a spouse or a, or a, a really close friend, you can tell way more about them and what they're like once you meet their family. Yeah. <laughs> You know, and, and, and for me, I, I felt like that, um, man, like, and there's, it's true. Like so many, so many of the teachings of Jesus are directly related to like, there are very Jewish things that he talks about and then and things that he does and how he interacts with the disciples. It's a very sort of a, of a Hebrew Jewish kind of way of communicating and interacting as opposed to, you know, how we're used to it in the West. And so it, and I've always had a love for history. So sort of that ancient history, you know, some of it was uh, just a, a, a hunger for learning, but some of it too is like, man, I really want to kind of dig into the, take the next step into Bible study and not just, you know, I'm, I'm a very like hands-on practical kind of guy. Like I don't, I don't want to yeah. just read about it. I want to dive in and get my hands dirty and make sure that what I'm reading is, is like legit, you know? Right. Right. This isn't just a fairy tale that we're, you know, this isn't uh, something that Hans Christian Andersen or the Brothers Grimm wrote um, or right. Aesop's fables. You know, this is the word of God that we're looking at. And you can go to those places. And I've had the opportunity to interview interview archaeologists that have actually dug in Israel. And it's just fascinating to know, like, even today, they're still finding new things. They're finding new old things, I guess. They're finding new evidence of old things. How about that? And so it's fascinating to know that basically wherever you go in Israel, you find that it proves that what the Bible is saying is to be true. Absolutely. And, and I was going to say, too, I, I mean, it's just some of the recent discoveries, uh, and I'm, there's been several more recent than this, but yeah, a couple years ago, uh, gosh, probably now four or five years ago, it's it was pretty well widely broadcast and I would take groups to go see it, but there was a little clay, uh, it's called a clay bulla. It's like a little seal that had the name of Hezekiah, King of Judah on it. And it was the first time ever where a, a, a biblical King's name was recorded in archeology span in the location where the Bible says that it was in the time frame when the Bible said that it should have been. And so it was just providing again, just sort of like this real life, no longer a fairy tale, real deal, real people i mean just if, if biblical archaeology if the nation of israel and biblical archaeology have shown us anything in the last 50 to 70 70 some years is the bible is is accurate it is remarkably specific and detailed and it actually means what it says that it means yeah and that's been sort of my journey too as i've been moving forward into sort of this aspect of bible prophecy as well the prophets talked about this 2600 years ago oh well it's happening right over here and i can take you to that hillside and and so to me this whole aspect whether it's archaeology whether it's uh, things in prophecy to me it just speaks of god's goodness and his kindness to not get um bogged down in like uh, theological religious sort of jargon or interactions like he's a useful uh, and and this is even trite to say i suppose but he's a, like you know he's a very useful communicative relational god who wants mm -hmm. to be wants to be helpful wants to walk with you on the journey wants you know not just give you a bunch of things that maybe you'll figure out once you get spiritual enough to uh, ascend to that spiritual level or whatever i mean that's uh -huh. that's that's not him yeah so 
Doug, how many times have you been to Israel now? Do you, have you stopped counting? Yeah, I, I've, I really have. I stopped counting. Uh, people ask. I mean, at this point, I usually keep track of how many months of the year that I'm there. You know, last year, I, in 2019, this is all sort of pre-COVID, but 2019, I was back and forth six times. Uh, and I mean, that was just <laughs> the frequent flyer miles were like through the roof that, that year. Um, <laughs> but, you know, on average, it's like five, six, maybe seven months of the year. Mm. Uh, three years ago, I guess it was 2016, the, the, the year that I spent a lot of time um, doing photo shoots for, for Israel Rising and doing Ezra Adventures trips. It was probably seven or eight months of the year. So I've, I'm, uh, I'm pretty well kind of settled into, in, into culture and, yeah. and people and friends and locations and, and really have a, have a privilege to really get to know the country the way that you know, many of your listeners would know their hometown. That's, you know, that's sure. kind of how I know Israel. Yeah. So, Doug, you mentioned something called Ezra Adventures. Can you tell me a little bit about your tour company? Because you don't do normal tours. And I really want to get on one of your tours someday because I think that would be awesome. Because you don't do things that are just the normal touristy things. Tell us about what makes Ezra different and where did it come from? Yeah, Ezra Adventures, uh, we started about five, six years ago, really with the intention of connecting with the needs that are in the land. And so uh, wanting to connect Western Christians to um, to the needs. So, you know, part of, part of my struggle, and again, this kind of goes back to my original kind of revelation on the Mount of Olives, part of my original struggle was there are so many Christians that, that will come to Israel and enjoy the land for 10 or 14 days and go home with a very romantic view of what life is like there. And just everything's wonderful and it's the glory and it's all that kind of thing. None of those things are wrong, but the fact is is that the people are people wherever you go, you know, there there are problems, there's issues. And the fact is, is that God is reviving this nation and this people in our time. And we have an opportunity to actually be a part of it, not just kind of look out a bus window and see what happened 2000 years ago, but to get off the bus, get your hands dirty uh, with local friends and to actually help fulfill the pages of the prophets. Now, I, I think it's remarkable just the, the time and the season that we're in. And so, and Ezra in Hebrew, Ezra means help. So the, the intention was to be sort of help adventures in, in a way. So in, in a way to connect to and, and to find out what the needs are and to really begin connecting with that. So in the last several years, uh, we do adventure day trips um, service projects or humanitarian connections, and then uh, unique biblical sites. And so w- as far as the adventure aspect, we've done everything from snow skiing on Mount Hermon in the nor- north to scuba diving in the south to desert camping under the stars in the, in the negative desert with Bedouins and camels and dune buggies and firearm training with special forces in the desert. And, and just, I mean, you, you name it, we can do it in Israel. <laughs> And, and with service projects, I mean, there's stuff where it's whether it's been building projects or restoration or food distribution with uh, Palestinian Christians in uh, some exclusive persecuted areas, mm-hmm. you know, working with Holocaust survivors. I mean, there's 101 things to get involved with. And then, of course, with the biblical sites, I mean, it's Israel has more archaeological digs you know, per square mile than anywhere else in the world. I mean, it's, right. if you you want to find the Bible, there's nowhere else to go. I mean, 80% of the Bible happens in Judea and Samaria and right smack in the heartland. So, I mean, there's, you know, months and months and months and years of material there. I read a news article saying that they were trying to build a parking lot somewhere near Jerusalem and they eventually dug down a little bit 
and it's another archaeological find and they got to kind of shut it shut down the parking lot to do the archaeological stuff and i don't know if they ever got to do the parking lot but it's everywhere it literally is everywhere funny i know exactly that that situation 15 years ago it was uh there's a parking lot as they're starting to do more excavation on the city of david which is literally David's city from 3,000 years ago. They're finding more and more, and they're going, wow, this is going to be an amazing treasure uh, for the Jewish people and people around the world. We need to expand this one parking lot that's right over here across the street so we can move, uh, you know, get some buses in. We can, you know, increase the... Uh, <laughs> increase the uh, <laughs> increase the tourist revenue (laughs) you know make it more accessible the whole thing you know so they they get in there and of course what you have to do first is you have to get some archaeology in and do some boreholes just to make sure that you know nothing significant is underneath well this is right outside the old walls of the city of jerusalem beside the city of david of course i mean so anyhow they ended up i mean 15 years ago i mean i remember parking in that parking lot and now like the entire parking lot is gone they've dug down in some sections of that dig, um, it, they've dug down to like first temple period sort of wow. stuff. I mean, it's just remarkable, stunning archaeology of literally the last fifteen hundred years. And so, so it's like you know they're 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 trying to expand it for more people to come, and they end up kind of making it worse than what they started with. But yeah, <laughs> I mean, that that type of situation is happening all the time throughout Israel. Right. Another place it happened. I mean, it's just sort of an amazing this is another amazing story like that, but there's a place up in the North beside the sea of Galilee called Magdala. And there was a, um, I want to say it was like a, a, some type of Catholic order that had gotten a, a piece of land and they were going to do a retreat center. It's right on the shores of the sea of Galilee. It's, it's a beautiful spot. And they, they bring in, you know, the, the archeologists to do their boreholes and figure out what's below the very first drill thing that they put in they hit this large stone uh kind of dig it out it's only about you know 10 inches under the under the soil i mean this was like an empty field mm-hmm. and and they they drill into what's now called the, the the magdala stone i think it's called but it's um it's this large stone that has these etchings on that I've never found before in israel but even more so it literally lands smack in the middle of a first century synagogue and so they begin excavating. I mean, this has been for the last you know, five, six, seven, eight years now. But now it's like this amazing, incredible archaeological find that they didn't even know was there. And it was literally laying like less than 12 inches underneath the soil. Yeah. And, and why that's significant is that it's a first century synagogue. And, and the scriptures talked about how Jesus would go around and teach in all the synagogues around, you know, around the Galilee. So I, I take our groups there and say... You know, nothing is 100% guaranteed, but according to the scriptures, there's a 99% chance that he was teaching right here. Like this is one of the communities because this is, it was a, it turned out to, the more they've done the the research, they're finding just incredible stuff. But all of that started with somebody saying, hey, I want to build something here. And then the the blueprints go out the window. Yeah, of, of course. So, but interestingly enough, you know, Israel's being built up all over the place and you go to it now and it's this, it's amazing to see what's been happening, but you came across a treasure trove of old pictures and then God gave you an idea about taking these pictures and comparing them with new stuff. Can you tell me about what eventually became the book Israel Rising? Yeah. So I, originally I had gotten, I, I've always had a love for for history and these old black and white photos. I, when you're in the old city, you know, of Jerusalem, you'll walk down some of these little streets or side alleys and you see these shops that have 
these little black and white photos that are maybe like a, you know, a five by eight size photo of like once some of the gates are around Jerusalem that you know where the places are. You just walk by that particular photo, but it looks like it's a completely different world from a hundred years ago. So instead of cars out front, there's camels or, you know, whatever else. And so um, I had gotten uh, 2,200 of these old photos in a, you know, in a drive and started you know, flipping through them and, and kind of shrunk that down to about a hundred and then went back to the pro photographer to reshoot a lot of the angles and and that became the book Israel Rising, and so I I fully expected uh, when I did that book that Israel Rising would probably be an advertisement. That was my intention. Israel Rising would be a, a, an advertisement for Ezra Adventures, and you know on down the road that maybe I might even on the book or something like that. But you know that whole that whole story really just turned into what we're now we call it Israel Rising. Ancient prophecy, modern lens, looking at an ancient prophecy mm-hmm. and then viewing that prophecy through a modern lens. That whole theme has now become a series, which is now on, on my website at, at DougHershey.co. Is, uh, there's a new online course, 10 Prophecies Fulfilled in Our Lifetime, as part of the Ancient Prophecy Modern Lens series. Again, they're taking 10 different prophecies and going to the places and, and you know, looking at that through photography and video. And, and to document how that's unfolding. But I didn't realize at the time about sort of what that might even become. Like I said, I was thinking more about Ezra Adventures. And since <laughs> that time, you know, I'm, I'm like ready to pass Ezra Adventures on to some other people to run it so I can kind of double down and, you know, focus full time on, um, uh, you know, next summer I'll have a, a new book, Jerusalem Rising, coming out. I, I have content for other um, other media options on down the road that will fit with under this ancient prophecy, modern lens, because we are living in a, what I consider to be a Daniel season of time. Okay. And what does that mean? Explain that Daniel in the book of Daniel, he's, uh, he's in exile and he's reading the prophet Jeremiah who Jeremiah says, Israel will be in, uh, in exile for 70 years. Daniel realizes, wait a minute, it's been 70 years. Like now is the time for, for the, for the prophet's words to be fulfilled. And instead of just saying, God, it's time. Like, I'm just going to sit back and watch you do it. He gets actively involved in the process. And he says, Mm. you know, in in prayer and sackcloth and ashes, I want to say this is Daniel nine. I think Um, I could be wrong in the number, Uh, but he's basically into sackcloth and ashes and repentance and prayer and just saying, God, now is the season. How, what are you doing and how can I join you? I think that we're in the same type of season of time and that now is the time where Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, um, Amos, I mean, a lot of these, these prophets in the, in the scriptures, their words are coming to pass in a very tangible way. And we can sit back and go, wow, this is really cool. Or I picked up this book or saw that online course, but there's an opportunity for us in, in our day, like we were talking earlier, whether it's Ezra Adventures or somebody else, to find a way to get to Israel and find a way to be involved. We have an opportunity to literally fulfill the pages of the scriptures in a way that our parents or, you know, our grandparents would have never dreamed. And so I just think that there's, God is uh, just, for whatever reason, we've, you know, we've been chosen to, to be alive in this time in the season when a lot of these things are, are happening. And I, you know, I, it kind of resonates with me some of, um, some of the Lord of the Rings quotes of like, oh, yeah. you know, 
we, we can't decide, you know, kind of what, when the time is I'm paraphrasing, I'm screwing up the quote, I know, but you know, but basically it's like, make the most of your time. Like, you know, we're not choosing when we can live, but here we are. And now what are you going to do with the time that you've been given? And so uh, that's kind of how I, I view our time with Israel is like, you know, for, for centuries and centuries and centuries, people have longed to return to Israel, longed to return to Jerusalem, let alone see it become a nation whose technology and discoveries and modern advancements and on and on have is literally changing the world. I mean, it is, it, we are living in a time that has never been seen before in terms of Bible prophecy and history unfolding like that. Yeah. And prophecy really is unfolding all throughout our modern time. And it's, amazing whenever you read the Bible and you see these things uh, that are actually happening. And we're going to talk about some of those from your course in just a moment. But as we're talking here, Doug, you know, there was um, Samuel Clements, better known as Mark Twain, visited Israel. Um, I forget what year it was, but it was a late 1800s. Uh, 1867. Early, 1867, yeah. And he described Israel as desolate, barren, and basically good for nothing. And it's it's an interesting thing to know that it's like 150 years ago, but now God has totally revitalized the land and the technology uh, and the agriculture and all the stuff that is coming out of Israel truly can only be explained by God's hand is on that nation and that land. Before we jump into your new course, I don't want to forget to ask about this, but you have some great stories in the Israel Rising book. It is not just old pictures and new pictures. There's a lot of stories that you've put in there as well um, to tell how you got some of these pictures. Can you just tell me one of those before we start talking about your latest course? Yeah, and so in, I, I write these little short little blog entries called um, personal encounters, and because that's really what it was. And in the course of the photo shoot and, and prep for the for the book, um, you know, I'm I'm trying to figure out. I, I've got a pile of old photos. I'm trying to figure out where they're at, and even if it's an option to to recreate. And so, one in particular is uh, we're in Jericho, which at this time it's. Um, it's under the Palestinian Authority, what's referred to as Area A. There's no Jews that are allowed. Uh, it's under Palestinians uh, civil control and security control. And so, but I, you know, it's relatively more of a sleepy town. And I had some you know, friends inside that, that could uh, help us out. So I had this old black and white photo of, uh, of some old stone archway from the late 1800s, like 1890 or something like that. And a barren empty field behind it and i thought man this is a, a, a this was a ruin in the 1890s i don't even know if that's even going to be an option so we went into a uh, went into a market and you know there's a bunch and just really i i really began learning this was sort of the way to do things if i was kind of lost or needed some some answers but I find a bunch of old men sitting around drinking coffee arguing about politics in the morning or eating the newspaper or whatever strike up a conversation and say, hey, I'm, you know, I'm doing a photojournalism project or I'm doing some history research. And this is Jericho from 100 and you know, 100 some years ago. Would you happen to know where this is at? And I'm thinking like, you know, this place was a, you know, this picture is showing me stone ruins from the 1890s. It's, there's no way it's still going to be standing. He takes one look at it and goes, oh, yeah, that's the old sugar mill. Over, you know, <laughs> And so he hops in my van and he says, but first we need to go over here. So we go to his brother's you know, shop and we have coffee and a little bite to eat. And, you know, it's just sort of part of Arab hospitality. But but eventually, like we he takes us right to the sugar mill and I'm I'm 
kind of stunned to go like, I'm looking at this, you know, grainy black and white photo from, I think it's 1892. Hmm. And I'm looking at the same stone archway sort of through the bushes a little bit. But what's amazing is behind that stone archway in 1890, there's absolutely nothing. And today there's a, a whole sprawling, you know, landscape of, of, of life and green. And, and so there were just really some amazing kind of treasures. So when, you know, again, when you're talking about sort of your theme of, finding things along the way and finding the, the way that God kind of leads you very unexpectedly. That was, that was a lot of the joy of, and really, I mean, it's, it is the joy of doing a lot of these research projects. These is, it's like, you know, it's, it's like X marks the spot. Where can I find this and who can I find that can help me find it? It's just, it's just been so fun. It's like such a fulfilling yeah. sort of adventure and journey of, uh, of putting those things together. And so I write about some of those within Israel Rising and Jerusalem Rising as well. There'll be some coming in there as well. So you put together this book and it comes out on the what, 70th anniversary of Israel becoming its own nation. Right. So it came out in 2018. And I started seeing you on all kinds of TV shows. Of course, we had you first, at least that's the first time that I saw you, but I started seeing you on Jewish Voice and, and all yeah. these other places. And so it was really cool to see like, hey, people are really interested in what is happening or what has happened in, in Israel anciently, but also in the near history, but what's happening today. You know, books are great because they're in print and they don't change, but things are just happening so fast in yeah. in our world today that you have actually developed an online course, which we were just talking about yesterday on the Real Life program, or not the, I'm sorry, which we were just talking about yesterday on the Hope Today program, Old Habits Die Hard. <laughs> and so... This course is focuses on 10 prophecies that are coming to life as we speak. Can you tell me about some of those and what people that want to check that uh, check out your course can expect to see? Yeah, again, and so I, I'm, I'm taking these prophecies, prophecies from a very literal and a very tangible way. You know, sometimes we read the Bible and we go, you know, uh, well, in fact, we... Some of it we talked about yesterday morning about reading of something about streams in the desert or making the desert bloom. And, you know, in our, in our world, we think of that as going, uh, you know, just saying like, well, I know that God can bring life out of mm -hmm. a completely dead and desolate situation. And all of those things are true. But the fact is, is that Israel is the only place on earth today that the deserts are shrinking and not expanding because they are literally finding streams in the desert and the desert is blooming because of the farming that's, that's happening there. So, I mean, these... So when we talk about those types of passages, we look at it from a very tangible section and then going to the actual places where they're happening. And so some of the prophecies uh, that are in there uh, are about um, the return of the Jewish people. The most repeated promise in your scriptures is that God will bring his people back to the land that was promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so uh, there's, um, there's a, a section on that. One is uh, about, uh, one of my favorites is about these, these Dead Sea Springs. Yeah, me too. In, in Ezekiel 47, there's a prophecy that talks about there'll be a day when the, the Dead Sea or the Salt Sea will become fresh and men will fish out of it. And we read that and go, you know, the Dead Sea right now, it's 10 times saltier than any other body of water on earth yeah, the chance of the of me figuring out how that's going to happen is is very little. So that probably means that God didn't really actually mean that. He must be speaking symbolically or metaphorically. Right. right. Well, uh, and you know, Mark Twain goes through that area as well, and he talks about it, it that it was like it reminded him of death and of funerals. 
and you know there was like nothing there and it's so, not a pretty picture yeah yeah not at all and so but what's been happening is since the 1980s it didn't happen before it's only been happening since the 1980s where these uh, sinkholes have been starting to open up on the israeli side not on the jordanian side but on the israeli side of the dead sea and geologists are we're trying to figure out what is going on and they sent some researchers in and what they're finding is that everywhere and I'm, I'm shortening the story really but everywhere there's a there's a sinkhole there's a freshwater spring that is popping up from underneath the earth hmm. and that is weakening the 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 soil content or diluting the soil content and weakening the soil structure and causing everything to collapse and so now there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of these sinkholes that have swallowed up portions of the road. In fact, not far from Engedi, you were talking about being you know, close to Engedi. They've had to rebuild the road around Engedi. There's these beaches that I used to take people to, you know, 10 years ago uh, on these trips. A lot of them are closed down and they're, they're, they're not safe. And so the, the water level in the Dead Sea is dropping one to two meters a year. So that on average, that's that's four to you know seven or eight feet a year depending on the year and so that that's the equivalent of about 600 olympic sized swimming pools of water every day that is evaporating or disappearing every day every day wow i mean it's just it is ridiculous the amount of water and so the the, the dead sea at its longest point is about 30 30 miles long and at its widest point is about 14 or 15 miles wide so this is a huge you know lake or body of water but because there's been less uh, water flowing into the Dead Sea from the Jordan River due to all of the irrigation that's happening through the Jordan Valley, the, the water's been evaporating. So quite literally, historically, and we didn't even talk about this on the show yesterday, but, but what's happening is that because there's less water flowing into the Dead Sea and evaporation, the Dead Sea is dropping at a, at a rate like has never been seen before in history. The, people are, are fearing that if it continues, that the Dead Sea potentially could be gone, like gone, by like 2050, 2060. Hmm. So another another 30 years or so, that at continuing at this rate, there is going to be a major, potentially could be, you know, who's who's to say? God God yeah. knows what he's doing for sure. But it, I, but isn't it interesting at the same time, for the first time ever, that the, the levels of the water are dropping, these freshwater springs are popping up at the same time. And so in this Prophecy Fulfilled course, I, I, we actually go to these springs. There's like green marshes. I'm standing in fresh water that's literally right beside the, um, right beside the Dead Sea. And, and at one point at the very end, I have a, a little cell phone video where I'm on a boat and I'm watching fresh water coming up from underneath the, the Dead Sea, literally bubbling up through the water. And so like these are just amazing, stunning things. Now, in the context of Ezekiel 47, it, the context is that there's an earthquake and there's a river flowing from Jerusalem. But the fact is, is that never before has there been any type of fresh water, anything at the Dead Sea. Mm -hmm. And now it's happening in a, in a really profound and dramatic way that has absolutely nothing to do with the hand of man. It's yeah. just happening and people are watching and wondering it. And, and so there's just, there's life that's starting to, to, to pop up. And so, Anyhow, I've talked a lot about that, but there, I mean, there's, and that, that's just one example. There are, right. there are 10 different prophecies that we look at and spend time. And all of these are, uh, as the, I think the shortest one is like five minutes. The longest one is like 18 or 19 minutes. Hmm. 
And so it's not intended to be a TV show. It's it's sort of a, a it's it's a meaty uh, packeting kind of thing. Get the information. I have my teaching notes and further resources there uh, uh, on each individual video. And uh, and so at at my website doughershey.co, your your listeners can can get for free. You, you can get the first one, and so cool. they can log in. And so you can get it, and that one is about about ten minutes long about the miracles surrounding the establishment of the state of Israel, mm-hmm. about some of the miracles during the uh, during the War of Independence, and uh, there's a common mistranslated scripture in there about um, about Israel that that um, that is is really you know just really just a, a, a special little nugget there for those that really enjoy diving into. You know, what God was really saying, and so, and all of that's in about ten minutes, and so you can get yeah. that for check out the course if you, if your listeners are kind of fascinated by that whole thing as I am. Yeah, so that's at DougHershey.co. I'll be providing a link for that in the show notes as well, and I can definitely verify that this is a really well done course. The video work that you've done uh, with that—it's not just Doug in the desert carrying a cell phone, making videos, right. and putting it up online. Right. No, he actually has a, has uh, people working with it, and it's it's well done. And uh, Doug, you said something in that in that last little bit there that. You know these sinkholes, this this water that is that is coming up that's fresh. It's not being done by the hands of man, and I find that so so interesting, especially with biblical prophecy, because you know sometimes people read the Bible and they say, well, that they could just Jesus could have just manufactured this thing, or you know people could have manufactured that, or yeah, people came back to the land of Israel, but they just read that and so they're going to try to fulfill that themselves. I guess you could make that argument, but with some of those things, not all of them for sure. But sure. whenever the land itself is literally coming back to life, it's something that has been dead, and we know that dead things don't randomly strike up life normally and so we know that god's hand is is working in that land and so we are seeing some really interesting prophetic things happening we're recording this uh september 16th and yesterday september 15th was a big day for israel as well because they signed the abraham accords you know there's now a normalization between Israel in the United Arab Emirates and Israel and Bahrain. Supposedly there's more on the way and hopefully, you know, by the time that this podcast gets out, we might actually find out more about those. But yeah. Doug, what does the what does peace in the Middle East mean uh in in regards to ancient prophecy and modern lens? Uh in terms of of the whole over scoping region, I mean, sometimes people are saying like, well, is, you know, is is the peace accords was that really in Bible prophecy? Is this getting coming to pass? Is this the, the Bible talks about that um for instance in the war of Gog and Magog, Ezekiel 38 and 39 where it talks about nations gathering and coming in on on invading northern Israel, but the reason they do that is because they are jealous of Israel's wealth and of and of the peace and security that that they have. And so and they're coming to, you know, to like steal silver and gold and cattle and the whole thing. So at, at some point the the scriptures talk about Israel being in a, a place of peace and of security. And so just the fact that these peace agreements are being made and some people are saying, well, you know, it's all setting it up for the Antichrist. Maybe this, you know, listen, man, you can, you can look and spin negative things as much as you want to spin them. Mm-hmm. And, and with this, even with this 10 prophecies fulfilled things, that's part of why I'm wanting to, you know, to get it out there is like, listen, there's profoundly encouraging, positive things that are happening. And 
truly there's not going to be the fullness of peace and shalom until the until star shalom the the the, the prince of peace is uh has arrived mm-hmm. and I, you know both jewish and christian circles would certainly agree on that but in the meantime you know god is continuing to work out his plan and what that looks like in terms of you know inter political type of uh you know international espionage kind of stories yeah, you know yeah. the scenes sort of stuff what all of that whatever that looks like the fact is is that for any nations that are making peace that used to not be at peace that is a that is a profound step and godly blessing there is mm-hmm. no there is no curses found in in peace that's being made you know in a, in a, in a truthful and a and a, in a positive sort of way and so, you know, to me, I, I think it's all encouraging. You know, I'm 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 one that's a, an optimist, looking on the bright side, looking for what God is doing, not what God is about to crush and to step on, and, and you know how he how people are being deceived. That's listen. There's lots of people that are talking that way, and you know, I, even with some of them, I might not even disagree with them. But you know, just in life in general, you you know, we have a, an opportunity to look at things that are positive or things that are negative. You get to you get to decide, you know, how you want to, you know, look at you know, look at life and look at the things around you. And, you know, there are so many exciting things that are happening in Israel and the Middle East in terms of Bible prophecy that, that just simply hasn't been the case. And, and so I, I'm hoping that as these peace accords become more and more solid, they, uh, the whole pandemic thing kind of settles down. I, I'm hoping that that means that many, many, many more millions and millions of people will be able to go to Israel and to have the encounters like that you've had, that I've had, right. where they just go, wow, there is something different about this city and about this location. And so, you know, I it, at some point, Zechariah 14 talks about that all nations will come to Jerusalem. They're already starting to come to Jerusalem in a way that the earth has never seen before. And so it, the more that people in Bahrain and the UAE and other Arab nations who had never had an opportunity to come to Israel and in that experience now have an opportunity to do that and do so safely, that's a blessing for them. And I, yeah. and I hope that there's more nations that have that opportunity. Yeah. So, you know, as these things are happening all around us, Doug, it's really easy to miss those things that God is trying to get our attention on. Uh, if we're not paying attention, I, I want to ask you, you know, the theme around this podcast is what has happened in your life that has showed you that Jesus has been walking with you, but in the moment you didn't realize it until you look back much later. Yeah. You know, some of it would really have to be with this whole process with Israel rising. I mean, I was talking about it, you know, earlier on. I mean, I, you know, like I, I didn't, I didn't intend to start a career path as an author or a <laughs> You know, I was uh, I was happy just kind of doing these exploration, fun right. Indian experiential sort of fun, you know, uh, off the beaten path stuff with Ezra Adventures, and I thought, hey, this would be a great way to show Israel to people that might not ever get a chance to come. And um, and you know, it's funny when I was first putting this these details together, I had some people that were helping me, and one was uh, an Orthodox rabbi in Jerusalem, and he he at one point as we were talking in his office in Jerusalem, he says to me. Um, you know, no one's ever done this before. No one's ever done this type of then and now photography with history and Bible prophecy. Like this is this. He said, "I'm just letting you know, like, like something that you're, you're this thing that you're working on is really special." Like this, and I, and I, it, I almost felt like he was prophesying to me at that time. And he said, 
you know, this could really be your life's work. Like, you know, I could see this being volume two, three, four, five, six, like this could be going on for the rest. There's so much for you to be able to document in terms of what the prophet said would happen and how it's unfolding. And at that time it was like, that was way too big for my brain. <laughs> it's like it's definitely overwhelming. Completely. 100%. Number one, I'm just thinking about, you know, Ezra adventures and bringing, bringing so maybe, you know, growing a, a, a company that way. And number two, trying to figure out, am I even going to be able to find all of these black and white locations? Am I, how is this going to work out? I mean, there were so many hoops to jump through and he's already talking about, you know, like miles (laughs) down the road. And so I kind of just like, you know, kind of laughed and was like, and I I think I even said to him like, well, let me get through the first one. And then if that one goes, okay, then we will talk some more. But looking back, I mean, it's like this, this Orthodox rabbi in Jerusalem had more faith for some of these projects than I did. And, and looking back, I really heard sort of the, I, I really heard the voice of the Lord through, through him looking back of going, this is where you're going. And so here I am a few years later and he was absolutely right. I'm, I'm acting, I'm looking for, uh, not looking by, I have some other people that are running Ezra adventures and kind of taking the lead on that. So I can completely focus more on writing and more on doing this, doing the, the research and the documentation and exploring the land and putting out content like, you know, to, especially now during a, when nobody's traveling, but to be able yeah. to bring you 10 different prophecies filmed at these really unusual exclusive locations in Israel for, you know, for, for the viewers to, to bring Israel to them and the truth of what God is doing. You know, I'm, I'm excited and, you know, truthfully a little humbled and honored that I have an opportunity to do it. For sure. So Doug, if you could go back in time and visit a younger version of yourself, Tell me what's going on in that scene and what advice would you give yourself? I'd say, don't be stupid. Don't be don't, stupid. Uh, yeah. yeah. Don't be, uh, you know, these, you know, when I'm 44 and, and I think a lot of your listeners would, would recognize that, you know, when you're, when you're in your early thirties, you're trying to make things happen and you're trying, you, you, you've got lots of idealistic views and you've, you've learned a little bit, but enough to be dangerous. I think you could say. And, um, you know, I would have never dreamed that, you know, five years ago, seven years ago, you know, that I, I would even be stepping into to what I'm doing now. And so, you know, a lot of it, um, a lot of it came through hardship. A lot of it came through, you know, hardship and failure is a wonderful teacher, uh, you know. And so to be um, at a place where I can look back and go, wow, I really fell on my face a few different places. And it was because I was pushing too hard in the wrong direction. And if I would have just kind of leaned back and not been so hard headed, I mean, I tend to be pretty direct, hard headed person to begin with. And so, um, you know, I would think that that's probably one of my, my number one thing is just that settle down, listen to the Lord and, you know, follow his leading. And you really don't know what you think that, you know, that would probably be one of my biggest things for me. (laughs) Yeah. I think that's something that we all need to realize is that we don't know what we think we know. We need to rely on the Lord a lot more than we do and allow him to reveal things to us and for sure. be humble in that process for sure. So Doug, what is a life verse that is something that has always grounded you to? Uh, you know, for years and years, I've always been a very much of a, of a visionary kind of, you know, wanting to go beyond. And so whether it's sort of a, an adventure aspect or just like I was saying earlier, like, man, I want to learn about the Bible. I want to go to Israel. Like I just, I just think about those types of things. So 
Uh, Psalm 37, verse 4, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. And, and I, I realized you know, early on was that you know, God wasn't interested in um, you know, locking me into something boring and awful and terrible. Um, he was interested in me delighting in him. Mm-hmm. And, and if, if I'm completely honest, as, as you get busy with other things and as you, get, you know, have you know, a little taste of success and as you, you know, kind of get in the groove of where you feel like you're going, it's easy to forget to, to back up and, to, and to, do, to spend some time delighting and just kind of not just following the Lord's leading because you have to, but because you want to. And, and delighting in that and realizing that, that you know, if, if, can we really trust him to, if we do that, back up and do that, you know, will he really come through? What about all of these desires that I have in my heart? Are they his desires? Are they my desires? Does it really, does it matter? Does it matter to him? Does he like to give good gifts? Does he like to walk hand in hand? I mean, there's there's a lot of these these things that we wrestle with mostly because we just simply don't trust whether or not he'll actually do it. And so I, I, it's going back, even as a, as a kid, you know, I'd probably say that was something that I was, I had lots of desires in my heart and I knew that the only way that I was really going to obtain some of those and to really kind of touch some of those was just to lay it at the Lord's feet and say like, Hey, this is, this is what you've put in me. This is who you've made me to be but I'm going to do my best to kind of surrender that to you and just to, to delight in you. And, and, you know, I, I think some of your listeners would probably, you know, uh, agree that when, when David in Psalm 51 talks about restoring to me, the joy of my salvation, you know, when, yeah. when you start the road, it's pretty exciting and you, you, you know, it's, it's easy to, to see those things and be all in, but, you know, after following, you know, you talk about the road to Emmaus here. I mean, after you follow the Lord for, for three years, day in, day out, and this whole thing didn't end the way they thought. They're complaining, they're discouraged, and they're frustrated, and they're trying to figure out which end is up and what's going on. And and so, you know, I, I think that that's one of the, the the biggest challenges for sure is continuing to to take the time to do it. So, Doug, what's some advice that you would give to? make sure that you're continuing to press in with the Lord. Is there any books that you like to read or resources that you would recommend? You know, for me, I, I find a tremendous amount of life in, in the Psalms. And I hate to, you know, sometimes people say like, where do you learn about like all of this, you know, Bible prophecy? And I'm like, uh, the, the Bible, Bible. <laughs> you know, if you read that, like, it'll make sense. Um, you know, but, um, so I, I really enjoy, um, I really enjoy just spending time like reading through the Kings and especially now being in the land and knowing some of the locations and kind of having the map in my head. Right. right. Um, but, uh, but that's, that's one thing and that's one in particular, you know, uh, but you know, I was uh, putting me on the spot here. I can't really think of anything that's, I'll, I'll think of probably like 50 of them after we're done the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, I, I, I like to be around people that or connect with people that I'm hungry from, like, like I want what they have, you know, sure. and to kind of, kind of spur me on and, and to stir me on. And so, you know, one of those uh, one of those guys is uh, is Joel Rosenberg. Mm. 
So, and, and now I've just, with Jerusalem Rising, I just recently signed a book deal in Tyndale. So I'm now a, a Tyndale author, which is what Joel is as well. And so I've always appreciated Joel's view of taking Bible prophecy and then applying it in a very practical way and sort of an international level and what all of that looks like. And so I just, I, and, you know, Joel's one of those guys that was at the, at the Abraham Accords, you know, taking pictures in front of the White House and that kind yeah. of thing. I, I have a little man crush on Joel and, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, as far as his his research and kind of where his life is going and how it, you know, as a follower of the Lord. And so, you know, I really love, I, I love anything that, that will take biblical truths and, and apply them in a very practical, tangible, real international nation's you know, kind of level, like that kind of stuff really stirs my heart. Yeah. So we had Joel Rosenberg on Hope Today the day before you. No uh, kidding. Yeah. So I'll, I'll, I'll have to put the link for that episode in there as well so people can see who this Joel Rosenberg guy is. And he's, he's phenomenal. Is. So <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's great. You know, Doug, we've talked a whole lot about your experience in Israel and how that has changed your life. And yes, 80% of the Bible happens in a small area of the world, right on the in the corner of the Mediterranean Sea, right there. The Israelites are God's chosen people, but I'm so grateful that God has grafted us in, and it's through Jesus Christ. And Doug, it all points to Jesus. That's the biggest thing that I've learned from my time when I was in Israel. Would you just talk about who Jesus is for you and maybe make an introduction for somebody that doesn't know him? Yeah, I mean, part of part of my work, even with the with the ten prophecies fulfilled, or even with the, with Israel rising, is that you know after like even with the story of Israel rising, the land's been desolate for hundreds and hundreds and you know a couple thousand years. The Jewish people return and it revives. Well, why is it reviving? And and aside, if you take the New Testament out of it. Um, you have this amazing pattern that by the time that Jesus steps on the scene, there's something already you know laid out, and and the, according to uh, according to the prophets, is that the Jewish people will be thrown out of the land, and at some point they're going to return to the same piece of real estate that God uh, brought them would bring them back to, and when they do, that the physical land will respond. And the waste and forgotten cities will be rebuilt. God will multiply them on, you know, man and beast are on the land. Um, you know, the, 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 the deserts will bloom. It, it talks about that the nation will again, there'll no longer be two kingdoms, but there'll be one nation called Israel. And then God's, you know, then the, then the floodgates will open. Like all of those things have happened in the last 100 years in a way that have never happened before, but it's all leading to, to, to something. It's not just that God is making the land look pretty again just for the heck of it. It's not, you know, just like, oh, you know, I made a promise, but it's all pointing to the fact that at some point there is going to be a Jewish man, a Jewish king from the line of David who will arrive on the Mount of Olives and enter Jerusalem to, to, to rule and to reign. And so when, when we talk uh, for me, I, I, I'm kind of getting to my, my personal connection here is that, again, the more that I've been involved with researching and documenting this stuff, the more I realize, like, this is all leading to something like this is all very clearly you know, coming. So it's, you know, if the people have returned, the nation is called Israel again, the land is responding, the, the, um, the people are being multiplied. 
um, Israel is blessing the nations again, and now at some point there's going to be a change where all nations will be against Jerusalem. What do you think is coming next, according to the prophets? You know, there there is a king, a Jewish king, that will return. And when when Jesus uh, ascended on the Mount of Olives, they you know, the, the angels said, like, this is where he's he's coming back to. Like he's as he left, you're going to see him come come back. And so, for me, this aspect of of Jesus and believing in the Lord and not just simply believing from the theological aspect, but having some concrete experience. There are too many uh, sort of uh, historical anomalies around the Jewish people, around the land and everything that the scriptures said that would happen. The scriptures also talk about a Jewish king returning to, to the land and ruling his people, Israel, and ruling the earth from that location. So even even for Christians, when when Jesus talks about returning, it's not to New York or to Hong Kong or to London or somewhere else. He's returning to a Jewish Jerusalem, period. And so the fact that all of these other things are lined up, in fact, in in even the the time of Pentecost, and this will go, I'll try to shorten this as quickly as I can here, but in Acts 3, Peter is teaching after... uh, you know, Peter and John, you know, heal some guys. And, and he's saying that that heaven will hold him, talking about Jesus. They're already talking about the return. Heaven will hold him until, until there's a full restoration of everything that the prophets talked about from ancient times. Hmm. Now, if you go back and look at what every prophet in the scriptures talked about, every single prophet talked about the restoration of Israel, whether it's Obadiah, Nahum, even Jonah talks about turning his face, you know, in the belly of the fish, turning his face towards, towards the temple and, you know, kind of recentering. Every single prophet talked about the restoration of Israel. And so Peter is talking to a Jewish crowd and he says, this is what it's about. And that heaven will hold him. There will come a point where heaven will no longer be able to hold him. What is that point? It's the full restoration of what all the prophets talked about since ancient times. Well, what, what was the one common denominator they talked about? It was the restoration of Israel. So here we are in a time when Peter says, the Lord is not returning until there's a full restoration of the nation of Israel. What do you think is happening right now? And what do you think is coming next? Mm-hmm. So, you know, all throughout the scriptures, both old and, and new covenant, there's this connection between those two. And so for me, it isn't just simply, you know, something I believe or I read some theology that makes my heart feel warm. It is this process of walking the land and experiencing the things that not only the prophets talked about, but but a lot of the, the, the disciples and the apostles talked about in the New Testament as well. It is very clearly leading to something, and the Bible is very clear about it. And so there is a very soon... You know, who knows? I mean, this is even even now still hard to wrap our earthly mind around. But is it true that perhaps in our lifetime a Jewish king will be ruling Jerusalem and ruling the earth with from the line of David, doing amazing things as as was foretold by the prophets? If we've believed all the prophets and all of the other stuff, we have to consider that as well. Yeah. And so for me, this is sort of the you know when I was talking about at the beginning about being a Bible realist and and. Um, being a literalist in terms of Bible prophecy, this is part of it. And so as the land is reviving, as the people is returning, even Ezekiel says he's going to bring them, bring them back, and then he's going to pour out his spirit on them. And then he's going to bring a cleansing. And so um, 
God clearly has a plan. He's regathering his people, and according to the prophets, it's for a cleansing, and it's it's to encounter him and to you know to to bring everybody into the fold of what his plan was. And I I believe that was through through Jesus, through Yeshua, the Messiah. Can you just tell somebody how they can begin that restoration process? lining up to God's plan. Yeah. I mean, a lot of it just comes down to acknowledging what's going on in your heart and saying, wow, you know, I need somebody to step in and change some things. And aside from an earthly King ruling, there is, there is one who has, who will deal with our sin problem. Everybody, eventually everybody has to have the question, how will I account for my sin? Like, how will that happen? And again, if we're talking about the prophets, and what they foretold, there would be one who would come and make sacrifice to bring that about in right standing. And again, that's that's he is a Jewish man. Mm-hmm. So all of that's just simply in my mind, just simply recognizing that what God is doing and saying, yes, I'm yielding myself to you and let me follow your lead. Show me, show me the truth. Show me the show me who you are in person that I can follow. And Jesus is faithful with all of that. You know, if we ask him to save us from ourselves, to forgive us of our sins, and you know, the Bible says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But we need to turn over control of our lives to Jesus so that we can be in line with him, so that we can be part of that restoration of God's plan, so that we can be in good standing with him whenever he does come back, whether we leave our earthly bodies first through death or Jesus does come back. And as it, you know, as we're looking at this world today, we're seeing so many crazy things out there. It seems like every other day you got to just read through the book of Revelation to see what chapter we're in. You know, we need to be ready and we're seeing Israel come back to life. We're seeing the land come back to life. We're seeing people respond uh, to the call of Aliyah to return. And, so it's it's amazing to see what is happening right before our eyes. And if we're not paying attention to what God is doing, we could miss it. So I just want to encourage everybody that's listening to check out Doug's books and his series. You can find that information at DougHershey.co. Doug, I just want to thank you so much for being my friend, but also doing the tremendous work that you're doing to help bring awareness and education and just inspiration so that people can learn what God is actually doing. And you're not going to see the, some of the stuff that, uh, that Doug's talking about in the headlines, but it is happening. And we got to be aware of what God is doing and be a part of it. Absolutely. So Doug, thank you so much for allowing me to join you along your way. This has been great, man. Thanks so much. I hope you enjoyed my Along the Way episode with Doug Hershey. You should really check out his website to see how you can get your hands on his current book, Israel Rising, and also his video course. You will learn so much. If you can't get to Israel with Doug, this is the next best thing. I'll be providing his links in the show notes. Thank you for listening to Along the Way. If you've enjoyed joining me along my way, please share this with a friend who you think will be encouraged by this podcast. Also, please rate and review Along the Way on iTunes. That helps more people discover Along the Way. And subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening. You can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and at my website, alongtheway.media. I hope that you've enjoyed this part of my journey. And may you realize when Jesus is walking with you along your way. 
Along the Way is honored to be part of the Charisma Podcast Network. You can find tons of spirit-filled content from their vast catalog of podcasts, including my Monday through Friday news stories for the Charisma News Podcast. Go to cpnshows.com to see the full list and latest episodes.